This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. For the podcast of the Super America, the sports podcast. It is Friday, March 25th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody is ready for a loaded Friday episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So much to react to from Thursday night in the Sweet 16. A lot of great topics to get into. We are going to discuss Gonzaga. Yes, they lose again early in the tournament. What does it mean? Is this program just completely overrated? We're going to discuss that. We will obviously talk about the must magic, baby. Muscle mania, the must bust, whatever you want to call it. Eric Musselman does it again. Arkansas advances to a second straight Sweet 16. From there, we will stay in San Francisco. Duke, are they now the favorites of this tournament? We all threw dirt on Coach K's grave. Coach K still standing, baby. He's like the Undertaker. He's like the Undertaker. Duke, maybe the best team left in this tournament. From there, we'll go to the South region. Obviously, the two big games there. Houston knocks off Arizona. We discussed that. Villanova knocks off Michigan. We discussed that. Fun show. We'll try to get you in and out here. It is Thursday morning, Friday morning. There is a lot to react to and obviously games tonight. So with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And what I would say is there's really about 11 different topics of the day today, but let's start in San Francisco, home of Barry Bonds, home of the Tanner family, RIP Danny Tanner, that's actually really sad, I don't want to go there, home of Joe Montana, home of Steve Young, Jerry Rice, Rice-A-Roni, the San Francisco treat, and in the house that Steph Curry built, the Gonzaga Bulldogs walked in as the number one overall seed in the 2022 NCAA Tournament. And they walked out with a big L, final score 74-68, to losing to the fourth-seeded Arkansas Razorbacks. And look, we could sit here, I could spend the next five minutes, eight minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, breaking down the game itself. I don't really think there's a game breakdown to be done. The bottom line is, from start to finish, Arkansas was the better team. We'll get into Arkansas in a little bit. We'll talk about the game plan, what they did, and why it was so impressive on Thursday night. But when it comes to Gonzaga, there aren't a bunch of things that we have to discuss in terms of the game itself, how we got here. 
Arkansas was the better team start to finish. Yes, I would argue that there were a couple kind of sketchy calls against Chet Holmgren down in the post, but part of that is this is what Arkansas does. They put pressure on you. They lead the country in free throws attempted. Arkansas was the better team from start to finish, and Arkansas absolutely deserved to win this game. And so while I could spend seven, eight minutes talking about the game itself, I think the stories coming out of this game are the bigger picture. And I think to me, the biggest story I say often on this show, the more interesting story is often in the losing locker room. And while I'd love to sit here and just heap praise on Arkansas, throw rose petals at Eric Musselman's feet, which I'll do in a minute, don't you worry about that. I also think it's important to talk about the more interesting story here, which is Gonzaga. We do it every single year. We ask the same questions. And I think on a day like today, where they went in as close to a double-digit favorite, they were the Vegas favorite, number one overall seed, they lose in the Sweet 16, I think all of those questions are fair. Are they overrated as a team? Are they overrated as a program? Will they ever win the national championship? And I do think on this specific Friday, I do think it's worth asking one very simple question. Has their best biggest, brightest national championship window actually passed them. And so let's get into it. Let's talk about it. And what I would say is what I always say on this show. Two things can be true specifically as it pertains to this team. I think it's a nuanced conversation, but I think it's a fair conversation. I do not believe that the Gonzaga basketball program is overrated. I do believe, though, that this specific team is overrated, and I believe that the conference that they play in, which we always discuss, did play a role this season. So first of all, let's talk about Gonzaga in the 30,000-foot view, and then we will get into this specific team. Because I think there's a thought that this program as a whole, Gonzaga basketball, the Zags, Mark Few, Drew Timmy, whoever, is overrated, and I'll say this, I don't buy that. And I've been a defender of Gonzaga in the past, but that's not what this is about. This is about looking at raw data, raw information, raw numbers over the course of the last seven, eight years and making the case that Gonzaga's overrated, you can't do it, okay? So as we all know, it's a well-known stat at this point. Gonzaga, since 2015, that's a long time ago, okay? That's Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker at Kentucky. That's Justice uh, Winslow and Khalil, or, or Jaleel Okafor, I should say, at, uh, at Duke. That's a long time ago. Well, since 2015, every single tournament that's been played, Gonzaga has made at least the Sweet 16, okay? So you can't tell me that a program that has made seven straight Sweet 16s, including four Elite Eights during that stretch, and two national championship games is overrated as a program. When you are the probably the second most consistent team in the NCAA, when you have probably the second most NCAA tournament success over the last seven or eight years behind, I would argue, only Villanova, you can't, you can't tell me that the program is overrated, okay? Duke hasn't been back to a Final Four since 2015. Kentucky hasn't been back to a Final Four since 2015. This isn't pile on Duke or pile on Kentucky Day. It's to say that you cannot tell me that a program that has been to two Final Fours in the last five NCAA tournaments, four Elite Eights in the last seven NCAA tournaments, and seven straight seven straight Sweet Sixteens, you can't tell me it's overrated. I also, I don't believe the conference plays a factor, okay? The bottom line is, yes, I do wish they played a little bit better competition. I'll be honest, like everybody else, I kind of check out on Gonzaga once January 1st hits. I'll stay up sometimes and watch them play a random game because I like watching them play. I think they're fun. But I, 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 
I, I don't pay a ton of attention to him. But I don't think you can sit here and say that the conference is killing Gonzaga when you just go back one season and they went to the national championship game. And oh, by the way, they beat three power conference teams by 15 plus points, a team from the Big 12, a team from the Big East, and a team from the Pac-12. Every single win getting to the Final Four is by 15 plus points. I don't believe that in most years the conference matters. So if you're asking me, is Gonzaga basketball overrated? I would say no. Is the conference overrated? I would say no. But what I would also say is this. Do I believe that this specific Gonzaga team was overrated? I do. And do I believe that the conference this specific season hurt them? The answer is yes, I do. And listen, let's let's get into this year's team and let's get into what happened on Thursday night. Because the bottom line is, let me just say this, right? I in life and on this show, we do a segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We'll do one next week. I get a lot of stuff wrong on this show. Come on, have big, strong opinions. Sometimes I just whiff. And sometimes I got to own it. But one thing that I have been saying consistently about the last month to six weeks, Vegas, the odds makers, have told you Gonzaga is by far the best team in college basketball this year. They are the overwhelming favorite in college basketball this year. And I said, guys, I just don't see it. I don't get what all the hype is about about this specific team. You can go back and listen. Now, I said that I thought they could win a national championship. But I thought there was at least five, you know, by the time the tournament started, probably seven, eight teams that could win a national championship. But I never thought they were an overwhelming favorite. And just think about this year's team. You can go back to last year. Listen, we can criticize Gonzaga, overrated, underrated, whatever. Go back to last year's team. Last year's team had like five dudes, four at the least, that on any given night could just destroy you. Jalen Suggs was the best player on the court pretty much any given night. Corey Kispert was a 25 points a game if you needed it, 40-plus percent three-point shooter. Joel, ay my guy, my guy, Joel, ay could you get you 20-25? Drew Timmy, the same. And so when I look back even on last year, I don't think that team was overrated. I think there was one team that was definitively better than them. But this year's team, listen, if Drew Timmy and Andrew Nemhard basically don't play their best game possible, That team doesn't beat Memphis in the second round, let alone get to the Sweet 16 where they end up losing to Gonzaga or to Arkansas. And it's funny because I was talking to a buddy and he actually brought this point up to me. I think sometimes I get so caught up in the weeds and all this stuff. He just said, dude, Torres. He goes, look at them. He goes, Timmy can get you 25. Nemhard can maybe, if every single thing goes right, get you 25. And then what else do they have? And it was like a light bulb that went over my head on, on Thursday morning before this game. I said, dude, you're right. They really don't have that much. And so when I look at this team, I do think they were overrated. And I'll say this. I do think this was the year that their specific conference hurt them. And I'll tell you why. It's not because they weren't challenged. It's not because if they played in the SEC, they would have been better prepared. No, this this team was, was flawed from the beginning. It wasn't as great offensively. I think defensively, they over-relied on Chet Holmgren, and any time he was going to be in foul trouble, they could be in trouble. And so I don't believe that if they played in the Pac-12, and oh my God, they had two games against Arizona, they'd be so much more ready. No, I don't think they would have been ready because I don't think they were going to win a national championship anyway. So I don't think, I, I think this is the year the conference hurt them, not because they weren't challenged, but because they weren't exposed. This was not one of those elite teams. And so to me... 
they had much more of a feel of, say, Kansas or Baylor or Kentucky that they're good enough to win the national championship, but they also have major flaws that if, if, if you catch them on the wrong, if you catch them on the right night for your team, the wrong night for them, you can embarrass them. And that's exactly what Arkansas did. And I'm not trying to take away from Arkansas. I'm just saying that this felt more like a 25-8 and eight team rather than 28-3, and three, which they were coming into the year. But you never knew it because the, the out of con- or because the conference play never really exposed them. And so, yes, I do believe this specific team was overrated. And now I think the bigger question is this. What happens next for this program? First of all, in terms of overrated, underrated, I mean, I, I, to go back to that point for a second, I'll just say this. I do think there was. I do think when you go back over the last five, six years, this was probably like the the fifth or sixth most talented Gonzaga team over the last couple of years. Uh, last year, obviously, look. Last year, go back. You can criticize Gonzaga for whatever they lose in the national championship game. There was one team better than them. They destroyed everybody all season long. There was one team better than them. They happened to play them in the national championship game. I'll go back to 2020. 2020, the year COVID canceled the tournament. I actually thought Gonzaga was the best team that year. Many people had Kansas as a bouquet, uh, D- Devon Dotson. I actually thought Gonzaga with Killian Tilly and Philippe Petrosev, I won't bore you with too many details. I thought they were the best team that year. 2019, that was the year they lost to Chris Beard and Texas Tech in the Elite Eight. I thought that was a, a better team than this year, even 2017 when they lose to North Carolina in the National Championship game. So I don't want to go through a history of Gonzaga, but I think when you look at this team, I can't say that the program is overrated because I think this is the fifth or sixth best team over the last five, six, seven years. I think the bigger question, and this is something that absolutely needs to be discussed, is was this the best chance for Gonzaga to win a national championship? And has their window already passed? Because I do think if you look at this program right now, I think it's possible that their program that their window has passed. First of all, like I said, four or five teams I think that have been better than this one. But you start looking ahead, I'm not saying Gonzaga's gonna fall off a cliff here. But a couple things. Let's just look at next year's team. Chet, Chet Holmgren's gone. He's going pro. Andrew Nemhart's probably gonna go pro. He's a fourth year senior, probably gonna try to pursue professional options. Drew Timmy, I think it's 50-50. I don't think he's ready for the NBA uh, or good enough for the NBA. I think he makes a lot of NIL money in Spokane. I think he probably comes back. But what is he coming back to? The guys that were on the court last night? The guys on the court last night weren't better than Arkansas's guys. Certainly weren't better than Duke's guys. I would argue if they played Texas Tech last night, they wouldn't have won. Wouldn't have beaten Houston. Wouldn't have beaten Villanova. Wouldn't have beaten a lot of teams that are playing still in this tournament. And so I do wonder, when I look at Gonzaga in the 30,000-foot view, we always assume, I always hear people in my industry say, if you just get back enough times, if you just knock on the door enough times, eventually you're going to break the door down. I don't know if that's true. This year's team was worse than last year's team. Next year's team is going to be worse than this year's team. And here's something else to consider. Tommy Lloyd, the Arizona head coach, who we'll talk about in a minute, was the key recruiter for this whole thing. This whole dynasty started when Tommy Lloyd started recruiting internationally. Roni Turioff, um, you know, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. DeMontis Sabonis, who's an NBA All-Star right now. Rui Hachimura, who's a lottery pick. Uh, Joel Ayayi, who I just said. They've had that international flavor, and if you look at their team now, they basically got one international guy on the entire team. And so I do wonder, as Tommy Lloyd's influence leaves the program, it seems like they're relying more on American kids, more on the one and done, and do they get into the same cycle that Kentucky has gotten into, that Duke has gotten into, that they are no longer a great program, 
but that they are a program that builds individual teams for individual seasons. I'll tell you, it's really hard. Uh, you know, Sean Miller and I talked about it when Sean Miller came on. It's really hard to replace your team every year. John Calipari is in the crosshairs right now. It's really hard. Uh, Duke, uh, Duke might win the national championship this year, but it's been hard. They haven't been to a Final Four since 2015. And so I bring it up to say, this isn't tear down Gonzaga Day. It's not to say that the program is in shambles. But there's this idea that just because you get there a million times, eventually you're going to break down the door. Well, I'll use the example I just used, Sean Miller. And I don't mean to, uh, you know, I, I, I know we've talked a lot of Sean Miller. I don't mean to make this show about Sean Miller. But he got to Arizona in the, the spring of 20, 2009. By 2015, he had been to three Elite Eights in like six seasons on campus. I think the assumption is, well, you, you just get, keep getting there, you're going to break through. He never did. There's other examples. And so I just bring it up to say, with Gonzaga, if you gave me Mark Few coaching another 15 years, do I think he'll eventually win a national championship? I do. But I do think if you look at the holistic big picture of this program, I do think it's sort of trending in the wrong direction. And I do think they had three or four really good swings at it over the last five or six years. And I do begin to wonder, has their best window passed them? With that said, though, Let's switch gears. Let's talk about the other team from Thursday night at Chase Arena in San Francisco. And I just said, I know I just said, the more interesting story is often in the losing locker room. And I do think that was the case on Thursday night. And I would be remiss if I didn't talk Gonzaga the way that I just did. They lose, their season's over. There's a lot of interesting topics there. But what I would also say, double remiss, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk the Arkansas Razorbacks. Because while Gonzaga was the more interesting story, I don't think that we can undersell this Arkansas Razorbacks basketball program right now. And it was interesting because, obviously, one, look, I've talked about Arkansas a ton over the last couple weeks. They beat Auburn a few weeks ago. Great scene, rushed the court, all that good stuff. Then they beat Kentucky. Then they have success in the NCAA tournament again. And now here we are again with Arkansas heading to the Elite Eight for the second straight year after not having made an Elite Eight since 1995. And as I watched on Thursday night, I couldn't help but think one thing as it pertains to Arkansas basketball. In sports all the time, we talk about, if I could buy stock in one team, this is who it would be. We talk about it in all sports. USC football right now. Oh, buy stock now because <laughs> you, you get in now with Lincoln Riley and the Trojans because if you don't now, you're in trouble. Mario Cristobal, Miami, buy stock now. And I do think, by the way, the NFL is the same. Pro, pro sports are the same. Probably this is the week that you're going to buy stock in the Miami Dolphins, probably sell a little stock in the Kansas City Chiefs, buy stock in John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies in the NBA. But when we're talking college basketball, when we're talking about ascending programs, programs that are not only winning now, but the best is yet to come, I'm telling you, I think buy stock in the Arkansas Razorbacks because I truly believe that this NCAA tournament run proves to me that this wasn't just a great team last year, that this wasn't a one-off but that this is a great program that we are just now seeing the beginning stages of, okay? So first of all, this really is, you know, this is year three for Coach Muss, and I think it's worth kind of revisiting how we got to this point. I won't spend too much time, I promise. But year one, he gets there. Um, you know, Mike, Mike Anderson, for all the criticism, actually I thought left the cupboard pretty full. Mason Jones was runner-up in SEC Player of the Year. And Arkansas also had a guy named Isaiah Joe who's playing really well in the NBA right now. And if he was healthy, Arkansas was probably an NCAA tournament team that year. They were right on the bubble going into champ week. The tournament gets canceled. We'll never know. Ironically, Arkansas actually won the last SEC game that season uh, in the SEC tournament before it was canceled. 
But Arkansas, you know, good first season, whatever, was trying to feel it out. Then last season happens. Then Arkansas comes in, makes an Elite Eight, has an incredible run. Coach Musk jumping on the table, yelling and screaming and celebrating. But even last year, you could kind of pick holes in what happened. And, well, it's a COVID year, and Kentucky is way down, and Tennessee isn't really right. They're not living up to expectations, and Auburn is going through their thing. Alabama's awesome. Arkansas's awesome. But is it really sustainable? It's a COVID year. Uh, they, they, they got kind of, I hate to say it, I don't think Arkansas fans would be offended by this. You got an advantageous draw. You beat Colgate in round one. You beat Texas Tech in round two. Great win. Sweet 16, you play Oral Roberts, a 15 seed, to get to the Elite Eight. Not criticizing Arkansas, but I think that's the draw that everybody would want. You have a lottery pick in Moses Moody. And so I think everybody's trying to look at last year and say, okay, was that the one-off? Was that the outlier? Or is this thing really built for success? Because coming into this year, while I think we all liked Arkansas, we weren't sold that it was going to be like last year, right? You lose a lottery pick in Moses Moody. You're coming off an elite eight. How can you possibly match that? Oh, I don't know. Over the last two months of the season, you just become the hottest team in the country. J.D. Note emerges from literally a, 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 an afterthought transfer from Jacksonville to the sixth man last year, really, really effective player off the bench, backing up a guy like Moses Moody, to now one of the best players in the SEC. You finish in the top four in what I still believe was a tough SEC. I know it was a bad tournament for Kentucky, a bad tournament for Tennessee, a bad tournament for Auburn. You still finish in the top four, and you still make the NCAA tournament, but this is why this year's different. It's one thing to do it once. It's one thing to come back, do it again, and take the path that they did it. They beat Vermont in round one. They beat New Mexico State in round two, in which, in which New Mexico State's one of the best defense and rebounding teams in the country. And then, oh, by the way, you get to the Sweet 16, and you're playing the number one seed in the tournament in their backyard. And you go out to San Francisco with a perfect game plan, perfectly executed, and take care of business against the number one team in the country. I don't know all of the details that went in Eric Musselman's game plan on Thursday night, but I think you could see pretty clearly that it, it kind of reminds me of last week. I talked about St. Peter's versus Kentucky. I said one team had a unique game plan specifically designed to beat a specific team on a specific night, and one team thought they could just show up, bounce the balls, roll the balls on the court, and win. Last week, St. Peter's, I thought, had the perfect game plan for Kentucky. I thought Kentucky just showed up unprepared, frankly. On Thursday night, I don't think Gonzaga showed up unprepared. I just think Arkansas had a game plan with every single answer that you could possibly have. Limit transition, I, I tweeted about it because I'm not a, 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 an X's and O's nerd, but you could see. Gonzaga, every time they, they got a rebound, they wanted to run. Arkansas had four guys back. They're like, crap, what the heck are we going to do? We got to run this half-court offense. We're missing bunnies. We're missing chip shots because they're making it impossible for us. Seemed pretty clear to me that they wanted to make Andrew Nemhard, the point guard's life, a living hell. They put Audis Tony six foot seven on him. Andrew Nemhard finishes two for 11 from the field. Drew Timmy, you go ahead and get your 25. Let's see what happens when your point guard can't get you the ball, and let's see what happens when you're the only one that can get buckets. Finally, I thought it was obvious they were attacking Chet Holmgren from the beginning. Grant Hill talked about it on the, on the broadcast all night long. The way that you beat a team with an elite shot blocker is you attack, 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 and that's exactly what Arkansas did on Thursday night. And so you look at a program that played the number one team in the country, with the perfect game plan, they just executed it to a T, 
And to me, that shows more than anything that Arkansas has arrived as an elite college basketball program, okay? I don't know if they're going to beat Duke on, 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 on Saturday night. But what I will say is this. You can't write off last year as a one-off deal. Well, they had a McDonald's All-American and a lottery pick in Moses Moody. Well, it's COVID. Well, it's this. Well, it's that. Well, guess what? We've now done it two years in a row with two uniquely different teams, and you just beat the number one team in the country to go ahead and advance to your second straight Elite Eight. And so when I look at this program, we now have a three-year track record. We now have a a three-year track record of regular season success. We now have a two-year track record. There's only been two tournaments since Eric Musselman got to, uh, got to Arkansas. Elite Eight and Elite Eight. And by the way, he made a Sweet 16 at Nevada. It was a play away from going to the Elite Eight there. You add in the fact that they are maybe as good as anybody in the portal. I'm blown away by the guys they got in the portal. I try to pay more, closer attention to the portal than anybody. I thought Texas did better in the portal last year. I thought... Kentucky did better in the portal last year, but Arkansas got these pieces that fit and they're all thriving. Trey Wade was a star. Trey Wade had Dwayne Wade tweeting about him on Thursday night. No relation. Dwayne Wade just fell in love with his game. Audis Tony, I just mentioned. Chris Likes comes in cold off the bench and makes a bunch of foul shots when it matters late. They're recruiting at an elite level. Two McDonald's All-Americans next year coming in. So I'm just telling you, this went from, I believe this tournament run changed the landscape for Arkansas. Last year was a great team. They are now a great program in college basketball. And maybe as the season wears on, and depending on what happens this weekend, we'll talk about where they fit in the landscape of programs in college basketball. But right now, like I said, you're asking me to buy stock in one specific team? Oh, baby, I am buying stock in the Arkansas Razorbacks. This is what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And when I come back, we will go through the rest of Thursday night's games. Duke, is Duke the team to beat? I kind of think Duke's the team to beat. Not going to lie. From there, we'll talk about uh, Arizona taking the loss to Houston. And, of course, Villanova beating Michigan. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the Sweet 16 recap in a minute. But before we do, Want to welcome back our partners, DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. The NCAA tournament is here. Half the Sweet 16 is done. We're going to have Elite Eight games on Saturday and Sunday. And they have an incredible offer for first-time users. I've told you about it before, but I'm going to tell you about it again. Make a $5 money line bet. That means win or loss. You don't got to pick point spread over under anything. $5 money line bet on any team. And if that team wins... You get $200 in free cash, courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best offer going. Here's how you take advantage. First of all, click the link in the show description. Sign up for a new account with DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. From there, shoot over to the Sportsbook and bet $5 on any team. If that team wins, you get $200 in free bets. Courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook, it is the best offer going. $5 money line bet, win $200. Act now because it won't be around for long. 
If you or anyone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9 within in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Louisiana, New York, Connecticut only, minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I'm back. Going to be back. Going to be back. Do want to begin to wrap the show. Do want to hit on the other three games that happened on Thursday night in the Sweet 16. And it's interesting, right, because I was thinking about this as I prepped the show today, is that really, when I prepped this show, what I would say is every day I'm, I'm thinking about this show, and I'm thinking about, okay, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to hit on? What's the topic of the day? But on a night like Thursday, where I know I'm going to be reacting to the games, you even start to think, okay, what could be the topics possibly coming out of these games? Certainly, I thought it was at least a possibility that Gonzaga lost. Certainly, I, I definitely thought it was a possibility that, that Arizona was going to lose to Houston. But the one thing that I really thought really could happen was that today's show could be the day that we were talking about the end of the Coach K era at Duke, that Texas Tech was the right team on the right night to knock off the Duke Blue Devils and for Coach K for the retirement tour to come to an end and for Coach K to ride off into the sunset. Instead, the exact opposite happened. Duke 78, Texas Tech 73, much like Arkansas-Gonzaga, much like all four games really on Thursday night, the better team won, the more deserving team won, and for the second game in a row, Duke was the team that looked like the veteran, experienced, tough, mentally tough team. And as the game went final, and as everybody, all the accolades are coming down, I kind of had one quick thought. I sat there and I said to myself, in a tournament where nobody was making the argument for Duke, is Duke now actually the favorite throughout the rest of this tournament? And let's get into Thursday night's game a little bit, because what I would say is this. It goes back to what I said a minute ago, is that I really thought when looking at Duke's path, I thought this would be the game where they get tripped up. I thought they'd be fine in the opening round against Cal State Fullerton. I did pick, I got a lot of things wrong in my bracket. I did pick them to play Michigan State in round two, but I said, look, Michigan State's physical, Michigan State's tough. Michigan State's just not very skilled, though. They're not the team that's going to take down Duke. But then I saw Texas Tech and I said, that might be the actual team right there. They're tough. They're older. They're experienced. It kind of goes back to what I said last segment with Arkansas. They know who they are. They play the same every single night, regardless of who the opponent is, a lot like Arkansas, a lot like the Houston team, a lot like the Villanova team that we're going to talk about in a minute. And I really thought that this could be the game. Texas Tech, top 20 nationally in field goal percentage defense, top 20 nationally in scoring defense. They defend their physical. Duke really hasn't seen anybody quite like them all year. This could be the night, people, that it goes down. Instead, for the second straight game, Duke's team that's basically all freshmen and sophomores they were the ones that looked like the more mature confident some may say arrogant team down the stretch first of all Duke's guys were outstanding all game long okay you can criticize Duke left and right it's hard to criticize this team Paolo Bancaro 22 points four rebounds four assists in this game 
Mark Williams was a beast. I'll say this. I've been saying all year, everybody's talking about A.J. Griffin's the X Factor with this team. But no, 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 no. I was there against Gonzaga that night where Mark Williams took over late against Drew Timmy. Mark Williams is the X Factor. 16 points, 8 rebounds, 3 blocks, a dunk that shook the earth in the second half. And on top of that, oh, by the way, A.J. Griffin, I just mentioned, 12, uh, 11 points, Wendell Moore, 12. And Jeremy Roach was phenomenal, 15 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists. He has really become a star in this tournament. Beyond that, what I would say, exactly what I just said a minute ago. Duke, with a bunch of young guys who has never been here before, was the more confident team late in the game. Much like the Michigan State game, they were down late. They were down 68-66 with three minutes to go. Texas Tech takes the lead. Kevin McCuller, a third, fourth-year guy in that program, been there, done it. He was part of that 2019 Final Four team, so I guess he's a fourth-year player. Makes a big shot, takes a two-point lead, and I think, oh, we'll you know, take out the notepad and start paying attention because this could be where Duke falls. Instead, the exact opposite happens. Paulo Bancaro comes down, bangs a three from there. Duke goes on, they score 12 of the final 17 points to win this game and to pull out the victory and to advance to the Elite Eight. So first of all, let me say this, credit to Duke. Duke's got some dudes, Duke's got some players, and and that really was my single biggest takeaway from this game, okay? It was so funny after the game, and listen, I don't blame my guys and girls in the media, right? Guys and girls in the media, they wrap their head around very simple concepts, okay? And so there is no simpler concept than, Oh my goodness, Duke survives. They live to fight another day for Coach K. And I sat there and thought to myself, like, look, and by the way, everybody did that. It wasn't just like, you know, you know, blogger in the basement that nobody knows. Like Jim Nance was talking about on the broadcast. Jim Nance is a legend. I love Jim Nance, so I'm not criticizing Jim Nance. But everybody's wrapping their head around Coach K this, Coach K that. He survives, he advances, he blah, 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 blah. You know what I sat there and thought? I said, look, there's no disrespect to Coach K. That had absolutely nothing to do with Coach K and everything to do with this. Coach K has the dudes. Coach K has the best players in the tournament, and we can talk about Coach K and X's and O's and scheme and this and that. No, 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 no. Coach K's players went out and won that game, and Coach K has better players than anybody in this tournament. In a lot of ways, you know what it actually reminded me of? Do you guys remember during football season, there was essentially uh, a two-day stretch that sealed Dan Mullen's fate that he was inevitably going to be fired as the Florida Gators head football coach. And the reason why was pretty straightforward. He goes, he plays Georgia at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, and Florida got their butt kicked. And that's okay. Everybody got their butt kicked by Georgia except for Alabama this year. And so Florida gets their butt kicked, and after the game, Kirby Smart, the Georgia coach, is asked about the game and the butt kicking, and you just killed your rival. And what does it mean for you? And what does it mean for your coaching staff? And Kirby Smart was basically like, dude, I'd love to sit here and pat myself on the back and talk about how great I am and how great my schemes are. He's like, I got great players. And this is a player sport. And give all the credit to the 85 guys in that locker room because this had nothing to do with me. Our players just went out and executed and did what they did. And I'm blessed to have these incredible players on my roster and in my locker room. Then the next day, Dan Mullen is asked the same question. And he says, well, we, we don't really talk about recruiting here during the season. We'll talk about recruiting after the season. And that was when it became clear, oh, wait a second. Dan Mullen doesn't understand that it ain't about scheme. It ain't about what you're doing on the whiteboard. It ain't about all your little plays and your playbook and your play sheet. It's about do you have dudes or not 
Kirby Smart does, Dan Mullen doesn't, and let's go fire Dan Mullen and find us a guy that can get us those dudes that can compete with Kirby Smart and, of course, Nick Saban and everybody else in college football. And so to bring it back to Thursday, that's what it reminded me of. We can sit here and pat Coach K on the back and do every press conference. And by the way, this is no disrespect to Coach K. He's the one that brought all these guys in. But at the end of the day, there's no game plan. There's no whiteboard. There's no anything you can draw up to do what Paolo Bancaro does. He's six foot ten and he can bang in the post, but he can also step out and hit big threes. He can also take guys off the dribble. He can also finish through contact. There's nothing you can draw up to have Mark Williams seven foot one with a seven five wingspan dunking on the entire state of Texas. There's nothing you could draw up with Jeremy Roach being a former McDonald's All-American, a couple injuries, he's coming on slow, making plays down the stretch. And so when I look at Duke, it's not really about Coach K. It's all about the players in that locker room. It's about that five that was on the court to close the game. And I'm just telling you, when I watched that game, it was about the players, it wasn't about Coach K, and it was about one final thing. It was about this. It was about, is, is Duke now the favorite to win the national championship? And it was funny, right? Because after the game, my mom texts me, and my mom is, is, is from Connecticut like I am. She's a UConn fan like I am. And like every other fan base in America, Duke has brought UConn heartbreak. Now, UConn took care of Duke a few times in the tournament, 99-2004, no big deal. But Duke is reviled in Connecticut like they are everywhere else. And my mom texts me and says, I think Duke's going to win it all. And sometimes, you know, I'm the, I'm the son that knows everything, and I got all the answers. And I looked at the bracket, and I said, Mom, you're right. Look at who is left in this NCAA tournament. First of all, we know who's gone. We know that at this point, Arizona's gone, Gonzaga's gone, Baylor's gone. Only number one seed left is Kansas. Kentucky's gone, Auburn's gone, Tennessee's gone, three really good teams. And so I bring it up, Illinois's gone, Big Ten champ. Wisconsin's gone, good team. Look at who's left in this tournament. Yeah, I think Kansas is good. But is Kansas better than Duke on Duke's best day? I don't think they are. Providence, really great story. I think they're going to have success against Kansas tonight, at least keep things close. Don't know if they'll win. That's the team that's going to beat Duke and end the Coach K thing. Purdue, really good. Never been to a Final Four. Now they're going to knock off Coach K. Oh, by the way, Villanova and Houston are awesome. They play on Saturday. The winner goes to the Final Four. The loser goes home. And so I bring it up because think about the teams that are left, whether it is Nova, whether it is UCLA, whether it is UNC, whether it is Purdue. Who do you sit there and say, man, they're going to give Duke fits. Maybe it's Arkansas. We just talked about Arkansas. But Arkansas, great story, but Duke's got five NBA players in their starting lineup. And so I'm not going to belabor the point. Congratulations to Duke. They advanced the better team one. Again, I'll, I'll go back to it, and we'll talk about these other two games and wrap the show. I thought the better team won in all four games. I don't think it was about the refs, the whistles, uh, CBS wants this team or TBS wants this team in the Final Four. I thought the four best teams won on Thursday. I thought Duke stepped up. I thought they were a worthy team. And congratulations to the Duke Blue Devils on advancing. And I'm telling you, I really do think that this team might now be the favorite to win the national championship. Let's start to wrap up here. A couple other topics, a couple other games. First of all, the Houston-Arizona game. A uh, couple thoughts on that. First of all, I'm not making excuses for Arizona. But when I saw that it was a one-and-a-half point point spread, that Arizona was only a one-and-a-half point favorite... That was the light bulb, oh boy, Arizona is in trouble in this game. 
And again, I'm not making excuses for them, but they're coming off that emotional win over TCU. That game wraps sometime around 9.30, 10 p.m. Pacific. They got to fly back to Tucson. They probably land sometime around 2, 3 a.m. They got to get up Monday. Then, oh, by the way, Tuesday, they got to fly back out and play Thursday. I thought it was a quick turnaround. But what I really thought about, what I really thought was that this game, this game came down to Houston. This game came down to who Houston is. And this game came down to, to what I tweeted about on Thursday night. I think you can make a legitimate case that Kelvin Sampson is the best coach in college basketball. And so let's get into this game a little bit because it's really funny, right? I, I, I went back to Arkansas and I talked about Arkansas having the perfect game plan to beat Gonzaga. St. Peter's having the perfect game plan to beat Kentucky a few days ago. Well, guess what? There's another way to play this sport. And oh, by the way, I think Houston does the exact opposite, and I love every second of it. Houston, yes, of course, they have a game plan. I'm not saying they don't have game plans coming in. But what I think Houston is better at than maybe anybody in college basketball, Houston says, we are going to make you play our game, and we're going to be better at our game than you, and you're going to have no answers, and we're just going to embarrass and punk you. By the way, it wasn't just Arizona the other night. It was Illinois in the round of 32. It was... Uh, UAB, a trendy 5-12 game. It was last year in the NCAA tournament. It was all season long in the AAC. And so when I, th- I think about Houston, they play their game better than anybody else in college basketball. They are great on the offensive glass. They picked up a bunch of offensive rebounds in this game, 12 total. And they just made Arizona uncomfortable the entire game. And I could sit here and I can criticize this guy at Arizona and criticize that guy at Arizona, I just thought they played the wrong team on the wrong night. Houston is great at what they do. They made Arizona uncomfortable all night. And the stats back it up. Arizona came into this game averaging 84 points per game. They had 60 in this game. Arizona came into this game shooting 49% from the field on the season. They shot 33% in this game. Arizona came in as one of the best rebounding teams in college basketball. As I just said, Houston had 12 offensive rebounds. And so when I when I sit here and look at this game, I could pick apart Arizona and I could criticize Tommy Lloyd and he's never been to the NCAA tournament. I'll just be honest. This is what makes the NCAA tournament the NCAA tournament. Sometimes you get a matchup that is advantageous for you. Sometimes you get a matchup that is just a nightmare for you. And so should Arizona have won this game based on seeding? Probably. Should Arizona have won this game because they were a slight favorite in Vegas? Probably. But sometimes you just get a matchup that you have no answers for. And this was the game. This was the game where Arizona just had no answers, where Houston is so big, so physical, so tough, so aggressive defensively. Did you watch the game? Arizona had no answers. They couldn't move the ball. They couldn't get into the paint. Essentially, Dalen Terry was the only guy that, that, that seemed to be able to handle it. 17 points, six rebounds, three assists for Dalen Terry, two for three from three. Ben Matherin, the worst game I've seen him play all year, four for 14 from the field, 15 points. He, he struggled for every single one of them. Christian Coloco, big guy, 28 points the other night, 10 on Thursday night against Houston. Oh, by the way, Asulis Tabellas, I tweeted this. I feel terrible. I don't like going on social media and criticizing players. I don't. He couldn't play in that game. Their big guy, Azulis Tubelas, 23 minutes, two points, five rebounds, 
four turnovers in that game. And so what it says to me is a couple things. This was the wrong matchup on the wrong night for Arizona. If you're an Arizona fan listening, and I know we have a lot, and I hope you can sit back and appreciate this season. And this is what's so tough about the NCAA tournament. Only one team at the end gets to celebrate. Only one team at the end gets to enjoy it. And I do think that you're one of those teams that can sit there and say, we had an incredible season. We deserve that number one seed. We won the Pac-12 regular season. We won the Pac-12 tournament. We had an incredible year, and the future is bright under Tommy Lloyd. And by the way, a lot of these guys are going to be back. Ben Matherin might be gone. Christian Coloco might be gone. I think everybody else probably returns, and I think Arizona's a top 10 team coming into next year. But what's different to me about Arizona as opposed to, say, Auburn, as opposed to, say, Kentucky, certainly as opposed to, say, Tennessee, is the fact that Arizona lost to the better team. And it's not as though it's a satisfying loss, and it's not as though as you take it as it is, and it's not as though whatever. But Kentucky lost to St. Peter's. Kentucky had no business losing to St. Peter's. Tennessee lost to a team, an 11 seed in Michigan, where the bracket broke nicely for them. Tennessee spent all this time complaining about the bracket. How did we end up as a three seed? Well, guess what? Then he got an 11 in round two, and he still ended up losing. Auburn, I don't think an Auburn fan can leave this season. They can leave it satisfied, but they can also say, man, we left something on the table. Arizona simply lost to a better team on a night that they, they just had no answers. And so I want to give them credit, and I want to wrap by saying this. How about Kelvin Sampson, man? I've tweeted this the last three or four games. I truly believe you can make an argument that Kelvin Sampson, 60-whatever-years-old he is, is the best coach in college basketball. And I think I talked about this on Monday's show. At some point in the offseason, probably a week or two into the offseason, I'm going to do my definitive ranking of the best coaches in college basketball. I think the list will surprise you. Eric Musselman would be pretty high. Obviously, Jay Wright, Mark Few, for all his criticism, I think deserves to be pretty high on that list. I think you can make a case Kelvin Sampson's number one in the country. And I know they play in that lousy AAC, and I know they do that. Listen, think about what this guy has done. Houston was a dead program when he got there. Dead. Irrelevant for 25, 30 years. 2018, and I talked about it the other day. If it wasn't for Michigan making a buzzer beater, they advanced to the Sweet 16. Michigan goes on to play for the national championship against Villanova. 2019, if Tyler Hero doesn't hit a buzzer beater, Houston's going to the Elite Eight. Tyler Hero hits that buzzer beater in the Sweet 16. 2019, that was 2019. 2020, there's no NCAA tournament. They were good enough to win it. 2021, they make a Final Four. 2022, and I talked about this on the last episode. This was a program that came in, top 10, playing well, and then... Maybe their most dynamic player, Tremont Mark, goes down. Then probably their most dynamic player, Marcus Sasser, goes down. They lost their two best players in December and still managed to rally to get back to the NCAA tournament as a five seed. Listen, I criticized the advanced analytics with Providence. The advanced analytics loved Houston all year. They get a five seed. And they boat raced the Big Ten champ, Illinois, and they beat the Pac-12 champ, the team that I still think might have been the best team in college basketball, Houston, or uh, Arizona. And so they're going back to the Elite Eight. They're favored against Villanova, which blew my mind. And I'll tell you this, man. If, he, if Kelvin Sampson makes another Final Four, they might be the best, he might be the best coach in college basketball. I know it'll never happen. He's going to retire at Houston. He's in his mid-60s at this point. 
I think his son is in pretty good position to take over for him. But I'll tell you what, if I was one of these programs, if I was whoever, and I want to be good at basketball, I'd just write Kelvin Sampson, hey, I'd do the, Kelvin, I'd do the Lincoln Riley, I'd do the Brian Kelly. Here's a, a, a 10-year, $100 million contract to guarantee that you retire here. Because Kelvin Sampson, what that guy does, that guy wins. I think he might be the best coach in college basketball. Finally, let's just wrap on the last game of the night. I, I don't know that there's this huge, incredible takeaway from Villanova, Michigan. Um, you know, listen, Michigan, great team, great story. Villanova, to its credit, just took care of business. And what I loved about this game from Villanova's perspective, I talked about it a minute ago. Villanova did what Houston did. Villanova said, this is how we play. This is who we are. Oh, you think you can beat us at our game? Okay, let's see. Go ahead, try and stop us. What I loved about this game, middle of the first half, Hunter Dickinson is going off. He's playing pretty well. By the way, shout out Hunter Dickinson's dad who showed up in a freaking cowboy hat, okay? Hunter Dickinson's balling. And what, what, what Villanova does is rather than trying to throw in a bunch of big guys, because they really don't have very many big guys, Villanova instead decides to do the opposite. They sit there and say, you know what, wait a second now. We can't stop this big guy. So instead, let's do what I just said Houston did. Let's play our game and make them play our game better than we are. And so rather than trying to go big to mitigate Hunter Dickinson, they do the opposite. They play. They they actually take out their starting center, Eric Dickin, Dixon. Excuse me, not Dickinson. Eric Dixon, and they play five guards. And they play five guards essentially the rest of the game. They space the floor. They shoot a ton of threes. They move the ball. They're super fast, and they end up pulling away and winning. And oh, by the way, in the process, they essentially had the same number of rebounds. So, listen, the show's getting long. I want to get out of here, but I will say a couple things. One, that Villanova Houston game on Saturday night is going to be. Just unbelievable. I mean, you talk about just two insanely, insanely well-coached teams. Insanely well-coached teams. Villanova's it, man. Houston's it. I mean, you talk about maybe the two most well-coached teams in college basketball. Villanova and Houston are it. And I cannot wait to watch them on Saturday. By the way, my picks for tonight, Kansas slight win over Baylor, Miami over Iowa State, Purdue over St. Peter's, and uh, UCLA over North Carolina. All right, I'm going to get out of here. That said, I want to thank you guys for listening to today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Before we get out of here, if you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure to also rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. I got to get out of here because it's Friday. I got to get you this show. So with that said, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. We are going to have a final four when I come on air on Saturday. Have a great, or on Monday. Have a great weekend party, people. Enjoy these games. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.